midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. Hello, Groundlings. Welcome to Middle Ground. I'm Chris Otto. And I'm Chris Kalish. Thanks for joining us uh, here on Middle Ground. Just a couple of guys trying to sort it all out and find some balance. In the middle of everything, including life. Midwest, midlife, middle of everything. Our guest this week is, uh, this is cool. She's a starving actress, a comedian, improv actor, performer extraordinaire, and she waits tables in Hollywood. So she's she's a walking cliche, but some really cool stuff is starting to happen to her. And you met her out in L.A. and kind of shared, uh, she st- shared her story a bit, and we're kind of looking forward to hearing this. So that's going to be cool. That's coming up in a couple minutes. The other thing that we're rolling out today, and we'll do this a little bit later on before the guest, is our new feature... And we're calling it Dick Picks. Our weekly pick of the week's biggest dick. Dick Picks. Yep. And sadly, we're not going to have... Not, we're not talking penis. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not visually oriented. It's the it's the other kind. Dick Picks. And when we say that, I think you know what we're talking about and who we're talking about. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second, too. Oh, of yeah. Of course... Before we get to that, oh, we've got some cool stuff going on. Uh, actually, a new outlet to uh, to find us. As Not well. only are we cruising on iTunes now, we've got nine episodes on. Hey, this is our tenth episode. That's double digits. We're double digits, and we first started. We joked that we wouldn't make it to five. We've doubled that. We've made it to five twice, man. We're rolling. We're rocking and rolling. We are exceeding low expectations. If this were a job review, we would get exceeds expectations, Mark. (laughs) But for those of you who don't give a shit about iTunes, we are also on Stitcher. We were asked to look into it. We did. So now we're reachable to everybody. Yeah. So we have a new email address uh, for you guys as well to reach out to us. Um, It's now Chris and Chris MG at gmail.com so chris and chris mg at gmail.com this is good because i think our old email address was broken (laughs) (laughs) i I do because it didn't there was no incoming mail so i think the incoming mailbox was broken so we shut that one down don't use that one anymore i know everyone was trying to get to us through that one but yeah chris and chris mg at gmail.com this is going to work a lot better what do you got going on yeah so what do we got how's your week man how's your weekend I'll, uh, it was uneventful. I did join a gym. I just decided um, it's time to get the blood pumping again in some way and get energy moving. Uh, and so I joined a cheap gym down the street here in uh, on Wicker Park, right on Division. And uh, it has two things. I only need two things when I go to a gym. Just to get a very, I'm a very basic guy. A stair climber to get the cardio going and build yep. the leg and just turn right. So just a stair climber, not a treadmill, not anything else, just a stair climber, and an old-school dip bar for doing dips and pull-ups and stuff like that. So uh, it's like, wow. uh, like Rocky. A, like almost a stair ro- climber like almost very and a dip rockyish. bar. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Is that, so that's all, all you need. do? You climb stairs and you do, you do dips? That's your workout? That's all you need. That's it, baby. That's all you need. Look it up in any book, any old what, school fitness book. What? That's really all you need. Like what Jack about, LaLanne uh, stuff. You know him? Remember him, that guy that lived to be 93? Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going oh, yeah. for, the Jack LaLanne look. That's it. I'm going to swim the English Channel. He well, he wore this, those silver suits, those shiny suits. They look like spacesuits almost. <laughs> that's next. i got to get a wardrobe yeah. now. Nice. So I know I couldn't sleep all weekend. 
uh, I, Nina and I, again, two weekends in a row went to a bed and breakfast, but I didn't get any sleep because I was just tossing and turning, wondering what was going on with your Tinder date. So we need to open up the Tinder update. That is the, uh, thanks guys, that is the Middle Ground Orchestra, you're amazing. Paul Driscoll running that show over there. Thank you, Paul. Um, and now our, our intern's all out of breath now from playing all those instruments exactly. all by herself. <laughs> but they're a great, uh, they're a great band. Um, so I, I have a problem with Tinder. I'll, I'll keep it as brief as I can. Some people are on Tinder, and the standards are a little high. I think sometimes, like there's a person on Tinder. We all, you and I, both know what Tinder's for, right? Do I need to? Oh go yeah, into this? no. I, Tinder's to to hook up. That's what it's for. Right. It's what I thought. So I got people on here talking about, uh, and you know, I am the blah blah blah. I'm 32 years old. I'm the mother of a seven year old princess. I am this. I am that. <laughs> I've made some money. I'm. Uh, I need. Here's what I need uh, from you. I need you to be blah blah blah. Career this. Career that. Making such and such a money. Uh, and uh, not renting, but owning and building towards the future. Now, respectfully. The renting versus owning thing. You and I are both pretty. Uh, wait, it, wait, 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 wait. Thing, things is, happen. Things happen. Is that, Careers is that go on their sideways. T- people relocate. Wait, yeah. is, is that on her? Is that it's on her a, Tinder a, a update? I mean, her Tinder, hers. her Tinder profile before you even talk to her. She talks yes. about that shit. Okay, that's a swipe yes, left, my that's friend. What I'm that's saying. swipe left. That's right. Swipe that left. is a swipe left. Yeah. Uh, plus, you're a single mom with a kid, so let's talk about what you know. Maybe mistakes and things you shouldn't have done in your life. So I don't, I don't get the whole judgmental thing of you know, because careers go sideways, things happen, people get divorced, you know, you go through periods where you have to rent this and that. I mean, that just ha- life happens. So sure. to sit there and judge someone whether or not they're renting or buying, I find that a little harsh, especially given the unsure, let's say, economic conditions of the past X amount of years. So I thought that was a bit much. But she looked at my profile. So I'm picking up here some some defensiveness on your part. Did you you were judged by this woman? I believe I was. But here's the thing. Um, on my profile, I don't know if our listeners used to know this, I used to be, uh, I don't want to say a hot shot, but I had a good job. I was a, a mutual fund analyst with Morningstar. So I've done things like I've been quoted in the New York Times. I've been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times about different things. Right. And so it was, and for those of you in Chicago, know, uh, Morning, Morningstar is a very highly regarded company. Sure. And all of that qualifies you to host your own podcast for free. <laughs> so Nobody um, knows how to turn it into money like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm ready to give you my 401k, my friend. Handle the rest of my finances um, for the next 20 years. But no, here's so, the bizarre so part. St- Appa- but here's the bizarre part, Chris. So is she apparently because she 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 sends me a notice on Tinder. Hey, how was your weekend? Blah blah blah. Hey, can you help me out with some financial advice? I've got a lot of money and I need to invest it. So, oh, see, right. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop right. Stop right there. Wait, stop right there. I've got a lot of money and I need to invest it. Right there, she's telling you uh, whether it's, I, I don't know if it's a divorce situation. She has a daughter. Okay, so I'm guessing she probably didn't get this money by working for it. It was a settlement of some kind. And she wants you to know she's insecure about who she is. So she's throwing her money out there thinking that's going to lure you in. That's what I'm thinking so far. I suppose. But even. 
but I have no way of me. So I meet her standards with econ- with economic knowledge and finance knowledge, but I don't think I get in because of I'm renting and, and not owning right now. So I'm di- I'm disqualified. Basically, <laughs> See, I, I, th- I think that has I think that has nothing to do with it. I think she didn't, doesn't want financial advice, but she saw that she hooked on to it and used it as an excuse to tell you that she has money. I guess I, I can't read these things. My, as you know, I can't not read these things as as well as you can. Her pictures look well, okay. amazing. She's got pictures of her on a beach. She's, she's you know beautiful and sensual in a bikini, all this great stuff. But it just I don't get the signals, man. I'm, I'm terrible yeah, I, at I, this. I think already just based on what she's trying to tell you, you know, between the lines, I think it's a swipe left. But but more importantly, I, I have to ask though, what happened to Chris with a K? The walk and the drink from last week. What what's the follow up? Gone to ground. I'm not hearing from her, and sent out a couple of notes, and nothing happening. So I'm not going to. She ghosted. It. Uh, yeah. She ghosted. It went away. Yeah. Exactly. It happened, but she ghosted for four months before. So uh, it raises another oh, question, right. which is a whole other topic. How long do you keep the ghost door open? <laughs> well, no, I mean, actually, at the pace you guys are going, you'll you'll hear back from her in August. Yeah. Wrap it up. Yes. Well, we're gonna, you know what? This is all building towards one thing, an amazing fall in Chicago. So looking forward to that. <laughs> all right. We got to do this. It's a sad wow, day. Okay. Moving on. Well, hey, no, we got to close the, hold on. Uh, intern Louise, start up the band. We got to close Tinder. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go. Here we go. Thanks, guys. You're amazing. All right. Good stuff. All right. uh, You know, I'm in a really crappy mood today uh, because literally just before we started recording, you and I chatted for a moment. But just before we got on and hit the record button, it was announced that Ted Cruz dropped out of the race. What a shock, giving the choice of Carly Fiorina as your vice president. My God, it's the worst choice in the history of mankind or womankind. She's a disaster. What are you thinking? I will tell you, I am embarrassed to subscribe to any conservative line of ideology today. Uh, I will not ever vote for Donald Trump. I will not support him ever. And I, and I think the electorate and those of the electorate that are voting for Donald Trump are going to have a shock in a year, two years, if he gets elected, if he beats Hillary Clinton. Um I think he's dangerous. We've talked about this before. I think the man is dangerous. He won't get anything done domestically because everybody hates him. Nobody will vote for anything he does in terms of the Congress. So domestically, he's screwed. It'll be four more years of of gridlock. But foreign affairs is where this country is fucked. And that's how I feel. I'm not getting, I just, I'm, it's really, really depressing. The guy is just, and then the latest thing this morning or this afternoon, I don't know if you heard about this, before Cruz dropped out, Trump's thing today was, uh, that's Ted Cruz's father in the background in a 1963 photograph of Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, it's getting, uh, it's getting absurd, but it was also absurd three months ago, so I don't even... I don't even have emotional reactions to this stuff anymore. But, but how do you? Um, I, I, we we all know that those of us with an education and with a discerning brain who can think things through and watch this guy's behavior, we know that. But where these all of these people who support him? What the f- d- WTF, motherfuckers? Seriously, I know. I know. 
they're a they're a, a people that feels like they they're, they don't have a, a stake in the game, and somehow this guy is going to give them stakes in the game. I don't know how you come to that conclusion because let's let's face it, there's a certain amount of people that maybe they didn't catch the technology wave. They feel like they've been left behind. They got you know their jobs got you know whatever outsized, downsized, moved it overseas, whatever. There's a there's a type of people that really doesn't feel like they they have a part in this new economy or whatever you want to call it. But my question is, and there's no answer to it, how do they feel that this guy is their answer? I don't that there's a part of your brain that's just gone off the tracks. You know what I mean? As you know, I've spent a good amount of time the last few weeks in the state of Michigan. And I have learned that there is a sort of um, a Trump voter persona uh, that is very prevalent here in Michigan, and that is middle-aged or older, angry, white male, unemployed or retired, uh, or both, by not by his choice, and is deathly afraid that if Hillary Clinton were to get elected, she will personally come to their house or their farm or their apartment and take his guns. That That is the Michigan Trump voter profile. Uh, really, I mean, seriously afraid that Hillary or somebody representing Hillary will rescind the Second Amendment and come and take their guns, and therefore Donald Trump is our savior. Uh, it's stunning, stunning. I don't even know what to say. I don't, you know, the the ignorance and the fear, the irrational fear that, you know, we all need to load up on our guns and uh, the Democrats are going to come and take them. So therefore, we're going to elect a prick as president uh, who's going to piss off all the foreign leaders around the country, I, I, around the world. I, I don't get it. Don't get it. I don't either, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I really don't. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, gun lovers. I, I think Hillary is going to get elected, but be Good news, I think your guns are safe because he's going to be really busy those first few months oh, in office. Please. She's not going to have time. She's not going to have time to round up the guns. I'm sorry. I don't think she is, but please. that's one man's uh, opinion. You, know. uh, you ready for dick pics, my friend? Dick pics. We've got. Well, uh, yeah, got this a is a good segue. Our first our first ever uh, sort of our inaugural dick pics uh, segment. Dick pics. And mine, you know, I'm not even going to I'm not even going to say Trump or his voters. I'm going to I'm going to choose my dick pics as the partisan politics of the last 25 years, starting with Clinton, uh, you know, Newt, Newt Gingrich and Clinton went at it, the contract with America back in the 90s, and the hatred that Democrats and Republicans have for each other that caused nothing to get done for 25 years. I think that is responsible for the vitriolic um, spewings of people these days in the political arena, and it's 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 that partisan politics in the establishment that's they created this mess. They created Donald Trump, and uh, so my dick picks this week go to partisan politicians for the last twenty five years. There you go. Dick picks. Nice, nice, nice. Very well said. That's uh, I'm pissed. I am pissed, my problem. friend. Don't hold back. I love it. Uh, mine goes to the state of Indiana. Dick. Uh, I've been all, in every state in the Midwest, just about every state in the Union. Um, I don't like Indiana. It bothers me that they host so many events like, you know, Big Ten tournament, Big Ten championship game, national championship game in basketball. You know, Indianapolis is, I believe, the headquarters of the NCAA. Very Indy 500. Conservative. It's almost a southern state. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you take the Indy 500 and sort of roll that into NASCAR, I mean, there's a lot of rednecks in Indiana. And it borders Kentucky. Right. And it's, but it's not just that. It's, but it goes beyond. It's almost like 
it's all, uh, seriously, and I, it sounds funny, but it's like you, if you took Mississippi and dropped it in the Midwest, it's that Southern. <laughs> it's that wow. red. It is. And I say that it's very, very conservative. And I don't like Indianapolis. There's no water. It's not on any kind of water. There's no waterfront there. It's landlocked. It, it bothers me. It's not like there's a lake there or anything. I just don't like I don't like the state. The Hoosier thing is a great story, but it gets to the to the. Uh, Kind of the hickishness of the state. It's a hick state. I'm sorry, Indiana listeners. That's how I feel. No, I'm not sorry. I'm taking a page out of your book. I'm pissed. Dick picks. So after losing Indiana on that note, we we should we wish we had better news for middle ground listeners. But uh, it was a sad day for the American election. Be here on middle ground. Embrace all opinions, attitudes, and people except for those we don't like and those that disagree with us. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Uh, great guest. Who do we have? Yeah, I should probably edit that out. <laughs> On a happier note, so this guest today actually is kind of a special little story because I was in California a couple of weeks ago, as some of our hardcore listeners know, uh, having dinner at Universal City Walk in Universal City out in the valley there in California, uh, up by Universal Studios. It's a beautiful tourist trap is what is it, what it is shops and restaurants and bars and a giant movie theater it's right at the entrance of universal studios and uh i met daryl krylo who was our very first guest on middle ground voiceover artist lives in la we met for dinner and our waitress was hilarious and kept coming back to our table and we really sort of hit it off with her turns out she is an actress comedian improv actress uh, living in Los Angeles, originally from Boston. She moved out there to find fame and fortune as uh, as a performer or in show business in the entertainment industry. And we agreed that she would be an, a really great guest here on uh, Middle Ground. So I'm glad we were able to work it out. Before we cut to this interview, I want to apologize for the sound quality. Chris and I struggle with Skype and our Skype connections. All of our guests or most of our guests are usually somewhere else. Sometimes uh, the internet web and Skype don't cooperate. So the sound on this isn't great. So all the way from Los Angeles, California, we need to give a rousing middle ground welcome to our guest, Amanda Gavin. Amanda, yeah. So, Hi. hey, thanks for joining us. So, this I have to say, this is probably the weirdest acquisition of a guest we've had on uh, Middle Ground. So. Well, thank you for having me. It wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be me if it weren't weird, I guess. So. Well, <laughs> and not our first West Coast guest either. I think she's the second, right, Chris? Yeah. So we had. Uh, well, actually, she met Daryl. We were we were Daryl was with us at the restaurant that night. At um, yeah, Daryl was the voiceover artist. Yeah, voiceover artist, and I was having <laughs> dinner with him at the Hard Rock Cafe in Universal City Walk, and you were our waitress. I was. How did I do? Well, you did amazing or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's right. I'm damn good at my job. And I must you auditioned, you auditioned and you got the part. Well done. Yeah, who knew? Who knew? And I must have given you a decent tip or you wouldn't be here either. You absolutely did. I was like, well, I have to email him back now. <laughs> That's right. That's the one time I think I've ever written my email address on a receipt and you actually emailed me. It worked. <laughs> Normally, 
I wouldn't. Normally, I would just say, screw that or throw it away or whatever. But yeah, I, li- I listened. You know, I listened and I liked it. So I was like, you know what? Why not? Chris, you got to take note of that, man. Use the podcast and uh, give your email address. <laughs> tell, them, tell them you want them to be a guest and they'll, they'll email you. So the reason I was sort of drawn to your story is because you're sort of, and I hope this doesn't offend you, the quintessential yeah. starving actress waiting tables in LA. It's, it's, yeah. per- it's perfect. Yeah. So- One in like six million. <laughs> so how did you get to that point? Where did you, I know you grew up in Boston and uh, why don't yes. you sort of give your story a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been a performer of sorts. I mean, you know, from the time I was a kid, I would, I acted plays. I took dance classes. I was a singer. Um, you know, I took theater classes all throughout high school. Um, I studied actually improv and sketch at the Improv Asylum in Boston's North End nice. uh, for about a year and a half. It was super fun, super great. Uh, and just I just needed a change. You know, I, I've been on the East Coast my entire life. Uh, I had never really ventured out. And I was looking at cities to move to for comedy. And um, Chicago was on the list. New York City was on the list. But I was like, you know, if I'm going to move, let's move, you know. So I, I packed up my car and, and I moved to Los Angeles, not really knowing anybody um, and just took a complete adventure. Um, you know, I didn't come out here with the with the goal to become famous, which I feel like so many people do. Uh, and they assume once they cross over that California state line, it's like, you know, it's just going to happen for them. Yep. yep. Uh, you, re- you just realize how much work it is once you're out here. Uh so coming out here, I was just kind of like feeling it out. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to do continue improv out here? What, if, you know, what route am I going to take? Where am I going to find my, my way? And, uh, and, you know, I've been out here two years and it's just been one big adventure. I mean, I'm poor, you know, and I'm depressed <laughs> most days. Look, I, I tried, I, I tried to give you as good of a tip as I could. Okay. I tried to help you, you out. Did. So if you, if you didn't go to California to seek fortune, fame, and, you know, all that stuff, then what, what would you be happy with? I would just be happy with a job that I can live off of that I enjoy. And that's just working in entertainment in one way or another, be it television, on stage, music, um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, just, just being able to support myself doing solely that and not having to wait tables. That to me would be a success. Well, so give us a sense. So growing up, you did plays in school, you did musicals, you oh, still, yeah, you took tap yeah, lessons, yeah. the whole thing. Oh, yeah. The whole shebang. Yeah. You know, I, I did it all and dramas weren't really my thing. And, uh, you know, I was always kind of drawn to comedy. I was always the oddball. So I was like, well, you know, it wasn't really until I was like 17, I want to say that I was like, okay, there, there can be a career in being an idiot. It was my, uh, my high school drama teacher, actually, Karen Weaver. I'll never forget her. She, uh, she told me about the groundlings in Los Angeles and I was 17 years old. I had no clue. Like improv schools were, I had no clue about improv schools. Told me about the groundlings and said, you know, consider that after high school and kind of toyed with it a little bit, but you know, never, never seriously considered it. Um, after high school, I went to makeup school, became a makeup artist, uh, hated it, hated it. Um, I did it freelance. I worked with one of my friends who was a photographer. I, you know, did makeup for prom, senior pictures, weddings. Uh, and I just, it just wasn't fulfilling me the way I had thought that it would. I actually went a completely different route. I went into modeling. And that's something I had kind of done on and off throughout my teen years. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to really pursue this. And I did for a long time. Um, really? I've had, you know, yeah, I had close calls with agencies in New York, uh, yeah, I would travel to and from Boston on the Greyhound, 
between New York and Boston, just meeting agents and uh, dropping pictures off. And I, I really, I thought that, you know, because everyone told me they're like, go after it, do it, blah, blah, blah. Like, I really, I was just so consumed in it. Um, and then again, I think I was like 22, 23. I was like, this isn't for me either. Uh, so you have to kind of find where you fall and, and what you really love to do. And I'm still kind of figuring that out. Like, you know, I moved out here, you know, I do the whole comedy thing and, uh, I do stand up now, which is great. I love stand up. I love being on stage. It, it's amazing. It's awesome to be the only person on stage. No, that's uh, you're preaching to the choir. Chris and I both have had. Uh, uh, in fact, I think you and I talked about this about stand up class at Second City. Hey, you've taken Second City stand up class there in L.A. and we both have taken it in Chicago. Yeah, not Second City. I took one um, with uh, an old like uh, comedy manager, um, oh, okay. Joe okay. Falzerano in Santa Monica. Yeah, not through the Second City program. You know, same same deal. It's like a writing course. You you learn how to perform and how to write comedy. I thought that was great. That was one of the one of the best classes I ever took. Groundlings uh, for those of you is is like kind of like the Second City of Los Angeles. It's improv and sketch, so it's character based and stand up. Obviously, like she described, is a is a stand of doing monologues and stuff like that. So there is a difference. But Groundlings, when you think of that, I always think of like Lorraine Newman. Phil Hartman, obviously Will Ferrell. When you were first started to realize uh, comedy could be a calling, uh, who were your idols? Were they stand-ups or were they sketch performers? Or what do you think about, when you think about God in your wildest dreams, who would you like to be or who do you think of? You know, I remember seeing Sarah Silverman perform. Uh, it wasn't even a performance. She wasn't. It wasn't even an act. She was at the MTV Movie Awards, and she just said a bit about Paris Hilton. This was like in the mid two thousands, and I was, you know, a teenager watching the MTV Movie Awards, and I thought, God, she's really funny. Like that was great. So Sarah Silverman was definitely the first person that I sort of was drawn to. I liked her style. Uh, I mean, now the list could go like Bill Burr is like the mecca of all. I just I watch all of his stuff. I study him, and to be in LA and be able to see him every week if I wanted to at the comedy store whenever he's there for like 10 bucks is, is a dream. You know, I'm just there in the you know front row. I drag my friends. They hate me, but I'm like, come see Bill Burr with me. I think he's amazing. I, I think, I think he's just, I think he's the best out there right now. You can just keep banging away. You can just keep banging away, making one useless, mediocre, not going to invent shit kid after another. <laughs> no, I don't understand people like that. So don't you realize after your third loser kid, you don't have the DNA to make somebody special? It's like, what are you doing? All you're doing, you're just making more in the way people just walking around, looking up at shit as you're trying to get down the sidewalk, you know? Well, you know that dude, whenever you go into the deli, there's always that guy in front of you who doesn't know what he wants. Oh, what, kind of, what kind of bread is that? It's like, dude, stop making that fucking guy. Jesus Christ, that dude, that dude is everywhere. Are you doing open mics around LA or what are you doing to keep the stand-up uh, muscles going? Oh yeah, all this I mean I write almost every day. I work on some bit, you know, even if it's not a full thought, I'll just jot whatever down, you know, if I'm out at the coffee shop and I see something funny or hear something funny or I'm listening to songs or whatever thought comes into my my mind, I'll, I'll just always write it down. And one of my um one of my old improv teachers gave me some great advice that always have a notebook next to you or you know, even sleep next to a notebook, you know, because you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and you're going to have a thought and you're going to lose it if you don't write it down. So yeah. just write down everything. And, and yeah, I go to, I go to a lot of open mics and 
you know, those are long nights. I'm sure you guys have done them. It's a lot, yeah. it's a lot, right? You know, if they start at nine, it's like you show up at nine and you're well, you're lucky if you go on at midnight. So it's really, exactly. it's a tough thing. It's a long exactly. night. Exactly. And, and oftentimes you're, you're playing to a crowd of like five other comedians, you know, um, <laughs> who are snobs. Like they won't laugh exactly. at a lot of your stuff. They, it's because it's a competitive because, field. Yeah. And also they have their, they have their faces in their notebooks, you know, and they're working on their set and what they've got to, what they've got to perform. So it just, it's, it's a tough room for sure. But once you're, you're kind of in and you make those connections, the comedy clubs that have the open mics, they'll remember you or, or a guy will be like, Hey, let me book you on this show or that show. And that's kind of how I got in with the comedy store and flappers. You know, you start off doing bringer shows or it's like, you know, bring at least five friends of yours and we'll give you a spot. We'll give you a spot on the lineup, you know, and that's an actual show where, you know, it's not an open mic, but there's a full audience or you would hope a full audience and you get kind of a more authentic reaction to your, to your material. Wait, so you, you said something there, a bringer show. So is that a show where you bring five people? That's what they call it. You have a book who says if you can bring five guests five or more guests to this show then we'll give you a spot we'll give you like a 10 minute spot on the show tonight and it's great the first couple times is awesome but then your friends start to get bored of having to constantly come to your shows you're like i have another show i have another show you know so it's it's like pulling teeth a little bit sometimes you know you have to kind of know who to play you know pick and choose friends on certain nights and you have to be like you haven't come to my show come see me tonight i could use you and and it's all a big chess game i think so to me it seems like the hardest thing uh and i'm there's parts of la that that i love and there's parts of la that terrify me but the hardest thing uh coming from kind of a sketch comedy background in Chicago and in New York, uh, maybe even in Boston, it seems like it's easier in those cities because they're built differently uh, to kind of build a community and to kind of find your people and to meet the right people and to kind of hang out with them. It seems like in LA, that would be so much harder to do because it's so spread out and you have to have a car and all those things. Was that the case or how did that play out? You know, I find that that's a, Exactly it. Uh, L.A. is so spread out that the different comedy clubs are all, you know, within 15 minutes. I mean, there's a couple right there on Sunset right next to each other. But, you know, you're looking at a commute if you want to get anywhere. You know, you have them in North Hollywood, West Hollywood, Pasadena, Burbank. So, I mean, they really are all over. And L.A.'s public transportation system is not the best in the world. Let's just say that. <laughs> Wait, what public transportation system? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm reliant on Uber right now. I don't have my car. My car died on me like last year. So I've been reliant on this. Yes. I've been reliant on public transportation, but I mean, you get out there and you make it happen. I mean, if you really, if you're really serious about it, you're not going to waste time not doing it. You know, you're not going to work at your, at your job that pays your bills and then just go home and forget about it. Forget why you came out here. Um, but yeah, no, Boston has a great, uh, great comedy community, New York, Chicago. I actually heard, uh, there was a comedian here who told me who I met, uh, he was like, you go to New York and Chicago, if you want to become a better comedian, those are the cities you go. If you really want to hone your craft, you go to LA, if you think you're gonna, you know, you want to meet the right person and kind of take off a little bit, uh, which is true, true and true and untrue. But yeah, I thought, I thought that was funny. If you feel it's untrue, how is it not true? everybody's out here. I mean, you all start at the same, at the same level. And there are people out here who, who continuously work hard every single day at their craft. And, you know, I know them, I meet them. Uh, so, I mean, it's, 
true that you could go to New York City or Chicago to become a better comedian, but you can also become a better comedian here in L.A. I mean, it's not completely plastic. It's not completely just about looks and who you know. I know they say that, but it is hard work. And, you know, I think you can't really discredit those comics who are working hard. In that way. So you came from Boston and just recently we had uh, a guest on who moved to L.A. or immigrated to L.A. from Egypt. And he was talking about how how shallow, even compared to the rest of the United States, that he was well aware of a lot of the people in L.A. being pretty shallow there, you know, to be famous. Did, did you find a big difference in the culture in Los Angeles versus where you came from in Boston? Oh, absolutely. Well, I just feel like the whole Northeast in general is its own culture. I just feel like people there are so different from everywhere in the country. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I was so culture shocked when I moved out here. Just the people don't seem to care about things as much. It's just a slower, slower paced city, uh, you know, more relaxed. Maybe it has to do with the weather. Uh, you know, maybe it's because they're around beautiful beaches. I have no idea. But, um, I'm sorry. Did you, you say know. beautiful beaches or beautiful bitches? I, I, I didn't. <laughs> it could go. Neither. Both she said beautiful weather. <laughs> oh, oh. I'm sorry. And why are there so many fast food places? I'll never know. And how can they all be so fit and, and walk around and beautiful? But, in and out uh, burger. We miss the I'm In and Out burger. It's incredible. Right. So, um, do you stress out about finding an agent or taking that next step? That part of LA also seems to be kind of like you would burn out on the industry trying to get to that next thing or meet that next person. Do you stress about it? Does it drive you? Um, how, do, how do you, how do you approach the metal aspect of it? You know, I don't really stress too much about agents or managers the way that most actors out here do. One, I don't consider myself an actor by any means. I consider myself a writer and a performer and an entertainer. Uh, and I don't need an agent or a manager to book shows. I can do that on my own, just meeting people word of mouth here. And, uh, you know, I hang out at the comedy store a lot and I, you know, I'm a very social person. I'll go over to people. I'll meet them. I'll introduce myself. I'll ask them how they got to where they are. Who who do I talk to about booking a show? When's the open mic here? Um, what time should I get here to get a spot on the open mic? And it's just, you know, meeting people. Like I met one guy at the Laugh Factory when I first moved out here. This was before I even started stand-up, but the, but the thought of stand-up was kind of brewing in my mind. I went to a show at the Laugh Factory and I uh, was waiting for a friend and I was on the sidewalk there and the bouncer for the Laugh Factory was standing outside and we just got to talking. He was this really big guy and, and uh, you know, he's like, why are you, what are you doing here by yourself? Like, you know, making small talk. And I just told him, I was like, oh, just meeting a friend, you know, eventually, you know, I'd like to, you know, maybe one day you'll see me on this stage, you know, I'll be, I'll be the headliner. And, you know, I just kind of put it out there and, and he laughed. He was like, hey, you never know. We just got to talking. He gave me his card. He's like, if you ever want a spot on the mic here, call me. He was like, I'll put your name in so you don't have to come down because the Laugh Factory's open mics. Like, you have to go down. You have to sign up two weeks in advance just to get a spot. It's insane, the open mic at the Laugh Factory. I mean, you, you kind of make connections that way. And I don't worry too much about the professional side of it right now just because I'm having so much fun not being professional about it. <laughs> <laughs> and just kind of doing my own thing, I guess. <laughs> well, and I am living proof and evidence that you will pretty much talk to anyone. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. It is true that, you know, I was in L.A., uh, in the 90s, so long, long time ago, pre-internet. But the internet sort of has given access to performers and actors and comedians to the venues. And you're right, you can sort of find your own places to do work and you don't need the middleman, the agent or the manager necessarily. Yeah, you can kind of create your own work. So Amanda, where in LA do you live? Uh, I live in Sherman Oaks. I first moved out, I lived in uh, North Hollywood. Um, I live right on the Sherman Oaks, Studio City, Valley Village, like 
corner, but the valley. Let's just call it the valley. So you are very close to the mecca of valley girls and the valley speak of the 80s and 90s, the Galleria Mall there in Sherman Oaks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I go there all the time and I'm always shopping. Oh, that's so cool for sure. Hell no, hell no. It's pretty interesting about you, though, that you tried makeup artist, you tried modeling, you did, you know, singing the stuff you did in high school, and now you're doing stand-up. I mean, it seems like you gravita- gravitated towards the industry no matter what the role, when stand-up especially is such an intense... I mean, there, for me anyway, and Chris, I don't know if you agree, there's nothing scarier than getting on a stage in front of some people with five or ten minutes of original material. You don't know if it's funny. You think it's funny, but you don't know. And you're not playing a role. Nobody else wrote your lines. You're not, you can't hide behind a character or makeup or costume or a play. It's and, it's yeah, you. And, I, and we came from sketch backgrounds. We both trained at the Second City, so we're Improv. used to, like you said, character yeah. work. And you don't have a teammate. You don't have like a teammate that can come in, pick you up, take it on a new direction take it over right? here, yeah. add yeah. energy to the or, scene. Or completely you're take there, you out of the scene like, if it's bombing. So, yeah, so that, exactly. exactly. So that's what I'm... In. I guess there's a question in here somewhere. That's, you know, if you're going to pick something in show business, oh, my God. <laughs> Why pick that? something easier for crying you, out loud. Yeah, he's right. I agree with him on that. You pick the hardest thing. It is the hardest thing. I really thing. did. No- I really did. It is It is the complete hardest thing. I don't know what it was about stand-up. I just enjoy, enjoyed watching it. Uh, I had a lot of friends who enjoyed watching it, and, and I just, I really, I just thought it was cool. And, and I love writing, and I love being myself and I just I love that you can just be up there and be completely fearless and say whatever's on your mind and know that one person in the audience is gonna get it someone's gonna get it and if they don't screw them you know (laughs) just get off the stage and it just it doesn't scare me the stage has never scared me uh like when I was doing improv I would be in some scenes with people and this is going to sound so arrogant and pompous of me, but I would be in scenes with some people and I'd be like driving, you know, it'd be driving me crazy. Like, you know, the, I, the scene would just be completely failing or whatever. Or it just wasn't building the way I wanted it to. And, and there's a lot of freedom that comes on, uh, comes with being a stand up, a solo act, a lot of freedom. You can say whatever you want to say. You don't have to worry about another person in the scene. You know, it's completely your own and you can make it your own. The only thing worse than bad stand-up is bad improv. Because because it's like, you know what? There are like four or five of you on the stage. And if it's bad, none of you are fun- Nobody can save this scene? Come on. that That's really bad. Right. That's exactly. really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Only you the know, lights can save the scene. Hit the blackout. Exactly. Next yeah, you have the yeah the guy in the lighting booth turn the lights off on you. Like thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm trying to say like I was the funniest one on the stage or whatever. It was more just like if there was no chemistry in a scene, it, I was not feeling it. Like I wasn't. It didn't have give me the adrenaline rush that other uh, performances have. I guess you could say. Have you ever bombed? Have you ever like had people you know arrogant comedians in the crowd not laugh at your thing, and then you're all in your head and have to struggle through that what was that like oh yeah actually i i feel like one it's super important to be able to bomb and then to still have the balls to go up and do it uh every comic is gonna bomb that was one thing i learned in my class it's, you're gonna bomb at some point uh and might as well get it done early when no one knows you even the best comedians working today will bomb uh and uh it was actually my second show at the comedy store I was kind of riding high a little bit because I had my first show at the comedy store in the main room and I had 
laughs and everyone loved it. And the booker loved me and said, I want you back. Uh, and I was like, well, great. This is awesome. I was there a few weeks later and, you know, I brought friends. And But leading up, those weeks leading up, I didn't work at it. I just, I kind of sat on material. I wrote things down, but I didn't rehearse it the way I should have. I didn't hit the mics. I didn't really write. I didn't write it the way it should have been written. And I, I kind of went into this, the second show saying, eh, whatever, like I'll wing it on stage. And that was probably the worst thing I could have ever done was wing it, never wing it, never wing it. I had a, I had a stage time of eight minutes. I want to say, and it took me a minute to get that first laugh. Now as a standup, you want a first laugh right away, whether it's a callback to another comedian or if it's just a strong opener, you want that laugh right away. You want to get the audience immediately on your side. So to not get a laugh for the first minute, I was like, oh, man, I'm pretty I'm sure they could see it all over my face. But I, I was two vodkas in at that point. I was the second <laughs> I was the second comic on stage. Uh, they had given me my five. I was like, damn, already I'm already on stage. And and I just shut my notes. You know, I glanced at them really quickly, shut my notes, threw it over to the side, down my vodka. And there I was on stage and I blanked out. I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. I mean, I have bits and pieces, but to tie it together and to make an actual interesting story that people are going to laugh at, no clue. Yeah. All right. So um, shit's about to get real. So let's Uh-oh. let's 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 talk. So we got 20, 30 minutes of the intro out of the way. Let's talk real Los Angeles life now. So, <laughs> I mean, you, you didn't uh, move there for a guy. Is that, are we, no, do we no, establish no. that? Okay, good. So, Absolutely. so you get there. So dating, sex life, parties, uh, to all of those teenagers listening out there in podcast land <laughs> and they're, they want to know what is the LA party scene really like, and what is Amanda contributing to that party scene? Let's hear it. Amanda contributes nothing to the party scene because at parties, Amanda is extremely boring. Extremely boring. Let's try this again. Take two. Okay. So LA party scene, (laughs) what does Amanda bring in terms of, you're at a house in the Hills, uh, your poolside, (laughs) you've just done a couple of lines of blow. What comes next? <laughs> Hopefully, Jerry John Seinfeld is, is passed out on the couch in the living room. Oh, you know, yeah. You got, you got Steve Martin entertaining some twenty-two-year-old in the in the kitchen. I mean, come on, what's Amanda up to? Who how, who's she getting hit on? Bye. Oh, hopefully, John Samos. No, actually. Uh... <laughs> Amazing. That's staying power. The guy's like in his 60s. Yeah, you could have said that in 1994 and it would have had the same effect. I would have. If I were my age in 1994, I I would be here a lot faster. Like I would be here in L.A. looking for him because him in the 30s, man, he was sexy. Um, Look, Los Angeles is crazy and you hear so many crazy stories. Andy Dick is always on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, (laughs) wasted and drugged up. And I mean, the parties here are insane. Um, but I'm not a huge partier. I do date. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, I just, I'm realizing coming out here, you start to go on dates with people of a different caliber than I ever have. Uh, you know, and I first, what what does that mean? Lower or higher? I mean, lower in the, in the moral department, higher, I guess, in the industry kind of (laughs) successful. It's, it's a, such a such a dynamic, but you know, I first moved out here and comedians. I won't say their names that I uh, that I had a uh, you know interactions with and you know had gone out with, and uh, you just you start to realize you know 
there are some creeps out here. There are some creeps out here for sure. There's some. You, There's about four million creeps out there. Yeah. I don't, how do you wade through the creepdom to get to where you need to go? That was the part of me that I couldn't wrap my brain around. You know, I don't know. I've, I've gone out with guys who have been married with kids that I did not know prior. Let me just put it out there. Uh, did not know prior that they were married with kids. I had to actually find out later through IMDb and Google, which is great <laughs> in LA. That's interesting. I didn't, you know, I think people all all over the country Google prospective dates, but it didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, in LA, of course, you IMDb everybody. Internet, everybody. Internet movie deba- database. Find out what their credits are. That's awesome. So, what is your best? You know, when you are back home, you're in Boston, high school reunion. All of your friends are like, "Oh, Amanda, how's LA? How's LA? What's your best LA story that you pull out and play that card every time?" Oh my gosh, my best LA story. Actually, before I moved down here, I visited uh, West Hollywood and um, with a couple of my girlfriends, and I ran into Andy Dick at a restaurant and was telling him how, oh, I'm going to move out here and all this. And he was the one talking me down, saying, don't get involved in drugs. Don't get involved in, you know, the party lifestyle. And he offered me a place to stay. It's like, if you need a place to stay oh, when you're in L.A., boy, yeah. you can stay with me. So that's kind boy, of that's the one that the I good news, you got a place to stay. The bad news is you're definitely going to end up in, with drugs. So <laughs> no, uh, totally double-edged totally. sword. I was just thinking about that. Andy Dick's career is in the shitter so much, I don't even think he's been on Dancing with the Stars. No. no, he hasn't. In fact, he's, he's reached that elite status so that even when you read news stories about him, uh, if, if it's an AP thing or whatever, Yahoo or whatever, it's not actor Andy Dick was found in the West High. It's troubled actor Andy Dick yeah. was found. I put Andy Dick in kind of the Pauly Shore category. Oh, oh yeah. He's, there's he's, there's he's no around. one. But Pauly hangs sad. around. Pauly's around the comedy store a lot because of his mother, right? I mean, his mother's still around, isn't she? Mitzi Shore. Uh, yeah, no, Paul, I actually, I want to say Pauly Shore did a, um, a drop-in at the comedy store not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the comedy store's a great place to hang around. You see so many famous faces. Like Jerry Seinfeld did a drop-in a couple months ago uh, in the belly room at the comedy store, which oh, if you were in that audience, wow. that was a, that a huge so surprise. Cool. And it was so his cool. first show he did in like, 20 years there or something uh and just like like nothing ever changed like just went up there did his whole bit and didn't even need to to practice he was just on it so that that's the cool part about LA it's just you know everyone everyone wants to know what celebrities do you see and it's not necessarily you know the the d-list celebrities you see at Starbucks you know what I mean it's it's just it's kind of just the entire environment and just can I ask you a mental question? The, the one thing about comedy that is awesome, I mean, we it's fun. You get to look at things that are wrong with the world and kind of have fun with it and all that stuff. But isn't there that kind of dark mental – do you ever struggle with the dark mental side is, of it? It's, it's kind of this living hell where you're always kind of digging in the muck and looking at things that are wrong and you're trying to – put funny spins on them and make them interesting. But by and large, you're digging in the dirt. Like you're looking at all the things that are messed up or effed up or whatever. And that takes like a mental toll on you after a while. Did you ever go through periods like that where you just get the flip side of comedy is just like depression. Like a lot of great comedy comedians are very depressed people, but did you ever go through periods of depression where you're like, God, this is awful. Uh, You know, I mean, Look, growing up wasn't peachy. I, you know, I didn't have, I had a great childhood, great family, but I mean, there are things that happen that affect you. And I don't think a lot of adults deal with them the right way. Uh, a lot of people are bad communicators. They, they're, you know, they can't commit to a relationship. They have issues of some sort. We all have issues. Uh, and it's just how you deal with them. 
And I think writing for me is just so therapeutic. Music is therapeutic. Like music will get the depression out of me. You know, I'll be sitting there bawling to a song or I'll sing a song and I'll just be crying and I'll feel every word. But comedy for me, it's, it's where I can bring my issues to the table, bring them to the stage laugh at myself and show people that it's okay to laugh at things. We, we could think of a lot of different comedians and we almost know what their issues are because so many comedians just put it out there. And that's almost yeah. when it's the funniest, when you know a comedian who's being so raw and so honest. What do you put out there? What's your thing that you talk about? You know, well, I mean, I went through a really difficult time when I was a, a teenager. I was 13 years old and, you know, my mother had incredible amount of health issues, still does to this day. Uh, but she ended up going blind uh, as a result of one of them, losing about 85% of her vision. Now, as a 13-year-old girl, that affects you. I mean, that is just, it completely changes your entire life. I remember, you know, driving with her, and uh, it was actually on my way home from dance class, and uh, she was like, Amanda, grab the wheel. So I grabbed the wheel, and I didn't know why I was grabbing the wheel. And she's like, my vision just blacked out for a few seconds, and we were driving. And uh, so, you know, she went to the hospital, got all these tests done. And eventually, you know, it was it was nothing cancerous. It was not a brain tumor, but it was all the symptoms of a brain tumor. And it kind of it, uh, crushed her optic nerves enough where she lost her, her vision permanently. Uh, so that was at 13 years old. And, you know, for a girl my age to go through, you know, the teen, you know, the growing pains and not having your mom there in the way that other girls had their moms there, you know, she... She was there just in a different way. And we all had to learn to adapt. And we have. Like, we're great now. It's fine. But, you know, it's just a hard thing to cope with when you're that age. So I joke around about that a lot in my set. And I I like to write it. And I'll even call my mom and be like, are you okay with this? Like, is this okay with you? And and she'll be like, Amanda, you know, I just don't really think it's that funny. I'm just like, it's like fine. (laughs) It's fine. It gets a laugh. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a sister and a brother. Yes. And are you the youngest, oldest? I'm in the middle, oh, right okay. there in the middle. So what do, uh, what do your brother and sister think about your, uh, your your career choice and about the material that you do? They're they're very proud. Uh, they're very proud of it. My sister actually uh, emailed me after hearing one of my sets, and she was just like, "Is that like okay? Like I don't know how I feel about you joking about mom like that." And I'm like, "Look." this is my reality. This was our reality. You know, I just choose to put it on a, on a bigger platform. Uh, the first time I did that joke was at the comedy store about my mom going blind. Uh, it was, it was kind of, it was just like a karmic thing. The whole, the whole, I mean, I can just quickly just tell you the joke, but you know, it was all about like, you know, when I was 13 years old, my mom wanted to put makeup on me and, you know, she would come at me with an eyeliner pencil and it was terrifying to me because I thought she was going to poke my eye out, but karma got her. She went blind the same year. Uh, so it's, <laughs> oh, it's yeah, wow, yeah. yeah. So wow. and that's the, that's the response that elicit. A lot of people would be like, Ooh, like <laughs> yeah. not know what to do. And, and I kind of ease the tension. I'm like, you guys, she's not here. We can laugh at it, you know? And this, <laughs> so and that and it's exactly what happens. People start to laugh after that because you are now giving them permission to laugh at your sad, sad story. Well, let me ask you this: If you're not that, and I think that's awesome that you're a purist and you're not, and you're doing it just for fun right now, and that stuff's really cool. I think that's a great. That's the healthiest attitude to have 
when you go into big, big things like that. But um, do you do do you think a lot about like YouTube videos? Oh, I got to get my stuff on YouTube. I got to get out there. I got to get out there. That part of the, the the business is like that part's daunting to me. The self promotion part of it, getting your name out there. Do you do well? Are you comfortable with that part of it? Do you like that part of it? I mean, I don't. I'm not particularly like. I'm not going to go create a Facebook fan page. Do you tweet? Is that a big part of it? I know every comic tweets now. Do you tweet? I love Twitter. Love Twitter. I think it's I think it's the best platform for a comedian. Um, you know, like Facebook fan pages, yeah, whatever. Like nobody, who's going to like that? Like my family and friends, great. Like they're friends with me. Like nobody cares right now. Yeah. I think to create and establish a fan base, Twitter is kind of, um, you know, the, the best thing for comics. I know comics who have gotten hired as writers on late night shows just through Twitter. Um, Seth Meyers hired a guy out of Chicago off of Twitter. Yeah. I mean, if you can, if you can make people laugh in 140 characters or less with little zingers, they're going to be, they're going to be like, okay, if this is consistent enough and you know, they're going to be interested, they'll get in touch with you. I have got some brilliant, uh, just great monologues and tweets and things, different ideas and stuff. I've, I've come up with over the years. The problem is they're still on my MySpace page, and uh, <laughs> I got to migrate them over. I keep forgetting to do that. It's a major project. Do you think about ever one day? I know you're having a, a good time now, but is, is, do you ever think about an exit strategy of leaving LA? You ever think like, oh man, when it comes time to having a, a raising kids and doing all that stuff, you think that maybe that's not the place for you? And you, could you ever see yourself leaving it at some point? Friends and I have talked about this so many times, and I'm like, do I want to raise a family in Los Angeles? Uh, and the answer is no, but it might have to be that way. I have no idea. I have no idea what the future will bring. You know, I don't love LA enough to want to buy a home here. God, no, just the way, you know, real estate out here is, I would never want to buy a home out here. Well, you've got to be, um, you've got to be on a, a sitcom in your third year of syndication to buy a home. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. And on the Hills really with the mudslides and earthquakes. No, thank you. I, I don't, I honestly don't know what the future will bring. Like I just got hired on the voice, which is amazing. It's just, it's my first real industry job that I can say I'm, I am a part of, not necessarily a background role or, you know, a day player, but, you know, I'm hired. I'm a part of the crew now. And so I would like to work my way up in that field, too, and eventually, you know, get into casting or, you know, production. And how long were you in? This is important. And how long were you in L.A. when this happened? I moved here April 2014. I met the producers of The Voice December 2014, actually, through waiting tables right there at Universal. Uh, the Voice did a huge event, a huge catering event. And um, my manager picked me to go do the offsite uh, and uh, serve the contestants who are performing that night. But I met a lot of the production assistants and the crew and the stage managers. And, you know, again, it all goes back to talking to people. And I know a lot of people who would be on their phones bored, being like, once my shift over. But instead, I was like, look, this is what I kind of want to do. I want to be where they are. I want to, you know, I want to get a skill in entertainment that's not, you know, I want to be able to make money doing something that's not this. And uh, I, I met them. I talked to them. We exchanged emails. It was, just, I mean, it was just keeping in touch with them. And, you know, last season I was kind of an on-call PA. Uh, but, yeah, it was about a year and a half total until I got the job, I guess you could say. That's, that's great. I mean, you're way ahead of schedule. So what exactly are you doing for them right now? What do you, what, what's your role on the show? 
entry level, just production assistant, whatever they need me to do, you know, whether it's giving a contestant their five, um, you know, getting someone a coffee or making sure the contestants have water bottles or making sure headsets are charged or, you know, just miscellaneous, whatever the first director, well, they call the first AD or the second AD needs me to do. I do. Right. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good gig, though. It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a good gig. You're going to meet oh, people who totally like you. You're yeah, funny. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great start. That That's pretty you good. Know, and it's perfect, too, because I can still pursue comedy. I can still do what I came out here to do, but I can also build sort of a little career for myself that's a little bit more stable. Do you want eventually to have a husband and kids and you know, the life that I'm sure all your friends back in Boston are, are pursuing? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. All my friends are getting married, having babies, buying homes. And I so want that. Part of me is a little jealous because I do feel like I'm ready for that in a way, even though I'm so not. I feel like mentally I could do it. Um, but I mean, I just, you know, I'm 26 now. You know, my mother didn't start having kids until she was 34 I just, I feel like I've got time, you know? I feel like time's on my side a little bit, you know? You just got to ride that feeling out till it goes away. You'll be fine. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and Chris and I adhere to the theory that 49 is the new 29. So, actually, if you're 26, you're you're somewhere, you're still a toddler, basically. I huh? stumble around like a toddler some Saturday night. This explains a lot. No wonder it took so long to get my gin and tonics that night. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you did order gin and tonics. I yes. did, and they were And it fabulous. did take a while. No, I don't. I did think it did take a while because I think we were busy. Yeah, but that, that's why you talked to us because you were killing time. You were stalling, defending the bartender. Totally defending the bartender. So if you had a choice between executive producing a sitcom on one of the major networks or head writer for Amy Schumer's new series on HBO or being a uh doing two nights a week at the comedy store uh opening for um bill burr what what would you prefer oh man i'd probably take the writing job with amy schumer yeah that's what i would take good choice yeah i'd good probably choice. take that job you know i just you because because you're able to be funny and be silly and take it but you know, opening acts, it would be great to open up for Bill Burr, don't get me wrong, but, you know, it, it go, comes down to what's the most consistent. What if I threw in uh, SNL? If I could be a regular, wait, like opening up for Bill Burr and being a regular on SNL? No, no don't if, get greedy here, Amanda. Come on, Leslie. No, no let's say... I uh, want it all, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to, I guess what I'm getting to is, would you rather produce, write, or perform? That, that's the bottom line. You know, I'd rather perform i am a people pleaser first uh me too so god we have a lot I, in common we have so much you maybe you're my husband maybe this is the guy <laughs> wow i now pronounce you man and wife there you go <laughs> that's you. all it takes these I, days I, you just have those things in common Something i love about. technology that's how fast things happen these days i'm dabbing my eyes with my microphone this is uh <laughs> this is really touching it's it's beautiful before we wrap, I want to ask this, though, and it's such a cheesy question, but it's a good question. If you were to talk to the 14-year-old Amanda or the 17-year-old Amanda and give her advice that she needed to follow, what would you tell her? Follow your gut. Don't do what people want you to do. Do what you want to do. And don't go. Don't stress so much about not going to college because you're going to be 26 years old and not have nearly as much debt as half your friends. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I never looked at it that way. So it's and a math problem. 
it is a math problem. Would you rather be 26 and have minimal debt or would you rather be 26 and have however X amount of thousands of debt? If my son came to me and said, Dad, I think I want to give up the out-of-state tuition that you're paying every year and go off to Hollywood and pursue my dreams, I, I would be all for it. <laughs> Look at it this way. You're if, an awesome dad. There you go. You're yeah. an awesome dad. No, I'm just tired of paying out-of-state tuition. That's all it is. <laughs> But think about the clarity of it. I mean, you know, Bill Murray and John Belushi, those guys never went to college because Second City was their college. They were, exactly. you know, they got out of high school. They knew what they wanted. Yeah. So in essence, their education was, you know, learning with Del Close or whoever and studying in Second City and being on stage. So in, in essence, unless, you know, to look at it that way, not only do you not have any debt, but your college was the L.A. comedy scene and working clubs and things like that. Yeah. My college was just real life experience. And just real quick, again, before we wrap, I just something uh, very uh, relevant to this conversation. When I was 21 years old, I would go on uh, NBC Universal Careers website because I really wanted to get involved in entertainment, NBC, all that. And I looked at their page program and it was an internship, but you could only do the internship if you were in a college, a four year accredited school all that. And I was like, okay, well, that's not going to be my way in. You find your way in. And I tell everybody this, talk to everybody. Don't be on your phone 24 seven, you know, don't ignore things. Don't think someone's creepy because they're talking to you. Talk back and see how they got to where they're going, you know, and, and who knows, you know, maybe you'll get the interview at NBC and work on the voice one day. You know what I mean? You know, I couldn't do the page program, but look, I'm now working on the lot. It's absolutely true, though, and it sort of does bring us full circle because the fact that you did take the time that evening to talk to us when we, you know, you're how many times do you talk to a waitress? And Chris, you know this. You're, I mean, a good looking waitress comes over, you try to chat her up, she blows you off, and she leaves, right? I mean, but Amanda, you you stood there for quite a while, you entertained her questions. You, you know, I think at one point you were like, oh my God, I have to go check on other tables. I'll be right back, you guys. I did. Yes, yeah, uh, so a lot of other tables were pissed off that night. Yeah. It's okay. But that, you know, yeah, but the other tables couldn't offer you a shot at instant stardom like Chris could. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> It is exactly. interesting because you do wonder, who knows, three years from now, five years from now, eight years from now, if one of us or two or all three of us are in some position where we're like, wow, remember that podcast when we exactly. first talked to you and you were struggling? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you just never know. A couple questions on our way out. If there was something that you, anything you could do knowing you would not fail, what would you do? I would be the star of a sitcom or a TV show. Oh, that was too easy. That was too easy. Place you dream about living other than the L.A. or the West Coast. When you think about when I'm ready to blow out of here, where are you going? It would be it would be uh, uh, New York City. If there was one song that captures your childhood, what song would that be? One song that represents growing up. What what song do you think of? I will always love you by Whitney Houston. I used to- oh, oh, I will always uh, love you by Whitney Houston. That the is- Bodyguard, nineteen ninety two. Uh, quickly, yeah, name, me the my- origi- oh. name, name me the original artist. Can you name me the original artist? Oh, Dolly Parton. Bing, 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 bing. Well done. It was a country ballad. Good job, Amanda. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. I'm bowing. You just can't tell. What do you have to plug? Plug whatever appearances, open mics. What do you got coming up? What's on the web, YouTube? You can definitely come see me at an open mic at Flappers. Follow me on Twitter at A to the Gav, A T O T H E G A V. And, uh, 
follow me there because I announce all my shows, upcoming, anything I'm doing there. So A to the Gav, we're going to put your information, your Twitter uh, username. We're going to put all that in the description of this podcast on SoundCloud. Uh, we're on iTunes to men in the middle at gmail.com. And, uh, Thank you, Amanda, so much for uh, for coming on. We hope that you will agree to do this again. I think it'd be great. Thanks, Amanda. And uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you again next week.